Did you keep watch this week? Did you stay up a little bit too late? I was talking with parishioner Sean Adderley just after our last service, and he informed me that, according to a popular fitness app, Americans collectively lost 138 million hours of sleep on election night. And I think I can account for at least an hour or two of that. I kept watch. And if you're like me, you might have kept watch too this last week. I watched a little bit too much television. I read a little bit too much news. My eyes were red and a little sore as I kept refreshing that page on my phone and my computer again and again and again. I just had to know the numbers. And you never know, if I walk away for five minutes, I might miss some incoming ballot drop, 5,000 ballots coming to Georgia or Nevada. And so I refreshed again and again and again. But even as the votes became clear, I kept checking the results. My mind demanded some sort of confirmation. So Thursday night and Friday morning, Friday night, I checked. I kept watch. And even when I knew with reasonable certainty who would win, even when I knew what the outcome would be, I kept watch. I want to continue on the theme of the end times this Sunday. After all, it's still 2020, and we have another month to go. Anything could happen. Phil preached on the book of Revelations last week, and we are still in the middle of a full-blown pandemic. But rather than try and focus on what the end times might look like, or paint some vivid picture of what the apocalypse and the end of days might actually look like, I want to reflect on the here and now, on the state of our hearts as we sit here in 2020, a deeply divided election. And I want to reflect on how our hearts and our actions might change if we were to keep watch for Jesus with even a fraction of the energy that we keep watch on an election. The gospel reading today is a parable from Jesus that bids us in a crazy election week in a crazy year, not to keep focused too much on the temporal or the human or the profane, but to keep our eyes fixed on the divine. To keep our eyes fixed on the divine. But first, I think it's important, if you're coming to this parable for the first time or revisiting it for a time after a while like me, I think it's important to note about this parable some of the imagery and some of the language that's used. It's important to note that this parable uses wedding imagery and that this imagery is all over the Bible. In the Hebrew Bible, the prophet Hosea likens the reunion of God and the reunion of Israel as a wedding. And likewise, in Isaiah, Hosea likens the reunion of God and Israel's faithfulness as a wedding. God loves weddings. We see Jesus' first miracle takes place at a wedding. And so this is important to keep in mind because what Jesus is using today, this wedding imagery, it's not just image, imagery and, and words that he's making up on the spot. It's words that's rooted in the words of our ancestors and the prophets. So wedding imagery is all over the Gospels as well. 
Jesus uses it. Jesus uses it. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, he refers to himself as the bridegroom when he tells the disciples earlier in this Gospel that they shouldn't fast while he, the bridegroom, is with him. So we can assume that Jesus is the bridegroom in today's parable and that we, the disciples of Christ, servants, guests, we are the bridesmaids looking expectantly to that moment when the bridegroom will return so that we can go together into the heavenly banquet. So now that we've established some of that imagery, I think it's, we should time to focus on our, our heavenly banquet. This marriage and the wedding feast of Jesus is our great Christian hope. And it has many names. In this parable, it's known as the return of the bridegroom, the second coming, the eschaton, the heavenly banquet. It's important to realize that we voice our desire for this banquet every time we worship together. And you can see it in our Apostles' Creed. You can see it embedded in our baptismal vows. We voice it every time we eat Eucharist together. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. This second coming, the arrival of Christ, it isn't meant as something scary or destructive or terrifying. Rather, it's the end of suffering. It's the end of destruction and the pain of this world. It's a time envisioned by the prophet Isaiah as a time where nations will no longer lift up sword against their neighbors, but instead beat those swords into plowshares to go and study war no more. This wedding banquet that we speak of today in the parable is God's great final peace. It's what we're waiting for, huddled together outside the banquet doors. And it sounds beautiful, doesn't it? This great final peace, the wedding banquet. However, the only problem with it is that waiting. We have to wait. Waiting gets old. We know this just by living in a pandemic. It's hard to wait. It's especially harder to wait when you're waiting longer than you expect. Waiting takes away our hope. And it's hard to keep hope when hope hasn't come for 2,000 years. It's even harder to keep that hope when we see death and destruction and poverty, addiction, pandemic. So what are we to do in the face of all of that? Let's go back to the parable. Jesus tells us today that there are ten bridesmaids. Five of them are foolish and five of them are wise. But what separates the bridesmaids today isn't watchfulness. All of them fall asleep before the arrival of the bridegroom today. But rather, what separates these, uh, these bridesmaids is their preparedness. The wise bridesmaids are prepared to wait. They have brought with them today extra oil because they expect a delay. The lesson for us in all of this is that we must be prepared for the return even though we know not the hour nor the day. We must keep watch with extra oil, no matter how tired we are and no matter how frustrating the wait may be. 
It's important to remember during all of this waiting, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. We know the outcome here. It just hasn't been confirmed. I want you to imagine with me right now how this knowledge of the outcome can transform us. I want you to imagine with me how this knowledge that Christ is coming back can liberate us. This knowledge is transformative because it tells us that death and darkness and poverty, addiction, all of that won't have the last word. The knowledge that Christ come back, Christ is coming back, it liberates us from a world of fear and it allows us to live in a world of radical love. To a world of the banquet. So what might our world look like if we were to live fully into this knowledge? What might the world resemble if we were to embody the truth that Jesus' return was imminent, perhaps even tomorrow? How might our lives truly change if we were to embrace that though we may wait and wait and wait, that the end of suffering is coming to an end, or that the end of suffering is near? I believe that if we were to fully internalize this knowledge and not just hold it up as some ethereal and metaphorical hope, that it really would transform our world. For me, personally, I think that if I were to truly embody this, this notion that Christ's return is imminent, that it would transform my relationships. I think I would spend much less time holding anger and grudges against my political, and, uh, political opponents and friends on Facebook or social media that don't agree with me. I think I would spend more time loving and serving and giving. Collectively, I think this knowledge that Christ is coming back, if we took it seriously, I think it would call us to radically welcome the homeless in our society. I think it would call us to reimagine how we spend our energy and our time and our gifts. I think it would bid us to look at our political opponents not as enemies, but as siblings of Christ, people that we can sit across the banquet table with. This text isn't just about keeping faith today. This parable is about more. It's about how we share our faith with one another, especially in the times that we wait. As we see in the parable, and as we see in our lives around us, waiting is stressful. Waiting for results, waiting for the end of a pandemic, waiting for a transition of power. All of this waiting can actually cause us to turn on each other. As our lives fray and our anxieties increase, we can actually be tempted to deny each other a glimpse of the heavenly banquet that Jesus has set before us. We can be tempted to deny each other the oil for our lamps. So, 
Let this parable serve as a call for discipleship. The world has never been in such dire need for disciples of Christ that live like the heavenly banquet is imminent. Not just real, but imminent. An outcome known, but not yet confirmed. It is up to us who carry oil in our lamps to hold up our lights for those who have lost hope, for those who sit in darkness. It's up to us to hold on to each other, to keep each other awake when the night grows long, to trust that the bridegroom is coming, no matter how long the wait might be.